1: There's a lot of uh, a view of Asian Americans, almost like we're we're supposed to be cut off from our spiritual tradition, especially if we're born in the West.
0: This is David Shi. He's the author of North Asian Magic: Spellcraft from Manchuria, Mongolia, and
1: Siberia. A lot of shamanic practices are really, really is tied to the land. And so, a lot of their view is, if you're not on that ancestral land, why and how the hell would you have spirits because you're not on that land? So a lot of shamanic practices, or shamanism, or the beliefs in general, are tied to one, the ancestors, and to the land. So in my case, I definitely had the ancestors, but then I also have to, not compromise, but work with the facts that the land that I was born in and grew up in is American land and not necessarily Manchurian land or Mongolian land. One interesting thing happened when I was uh, in Mongolia to see the elders, one of the elders was kind of looking at me just uh, doing his own divination and it was kind of funny. He also had a little bit of, like, a like a surprise going, like, like, huh. Because um, with me, I carry the dual identity of being both American as well as someone of Manchurian descent or Manchu descent. And it's really funny because in Mongolia, when they think of Manchus, like, today, they're like, oh, they... That people have been eaten by Chinese so they're they basically don't exist anymore because they're Chinese now um so when they look at me they're they were surprised to see Manchu shamanic spirits coming through because in their minds they're like oh those spirits still exist wow did not know that and they're also like and you're also American you have a lot of relatives still in Manchuria but these spirits came to you there was almost like this like surprise and almost a little confusion going like, how's that possible?
0: In November 2019, Shaman Jen and I, we went to see David give a lecture about North Asian shamanism.
1: ...floor and then they would just like, on the floor <laughs> while doing this. And then this would also put them in a trance, but with this they're also riding the horses to go somewhere. Um, They're all called horse staffs because there's an image of a horse on the end.
0: They've been black, they've been smith. um, What is that called? Does it have like a specific name?
1: These probably do that I don't know of. (laughs) Um, of These and it's like and it's like like that in in the dark tradition you'll see they had something like this over their uh, shoulder and the mirror on the side and then they play with their jaw harp like this. It's also meant as a protection. So the Darkhide tradition does not wear them, it provides the protection for the back part.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then these snakes, they can be protection as well, but they're mainly for drawing in the earth spirits. Um, I'm not sure if I explicitly... These are basically used similarly, they can be used for blessing, for cursing, they could be just an indication of their office. Um, used more often in in Bordeaux, but used by dark huts as well, used by Hut shamans as well.
0: This interview originally was supposed to be a round table between myself, David, and Shaman Jen, but unfortunately, tech issues happened and only the conversation between myself and David was recorded. So if you hear us refer to Jen, or for me to say you guys, it's because originally the interview had Jen.
1: My name is David Chiggy, my family is from a region called Manchuria. It is an area in Northeast Asia. Half of it is uh, un- within China, and the other half is within Russia. My family comes from from the Chinese side of Manchuria. So uh, basically, what I am is um, basically a little bit mixed. My ancestry is primarily Manchu, along with several other things, such as uh, Mongol, Chinese, and a little bit of Korean as well. And I am someone who has been identified as uh, having having spirits, or specifically having shamanic spirits. I was identified uh, primarily by several uh, traditional Mongolian shamans, as well as a couple of Korean shamans. So, so basically, uh, I am someone who is told uh, primarily by shamans in Mongolia that I am supposed to practice traditional shamanism i'm someone who's chosen by my ancestral spirits so i'm currently on that path right now trying to uh, find the proper the proper teacher to take me through the initiation through that path and in that process uh, i'm also doing several practices primarily for myself um don't usually do Services or practices for other people. Sometimes I do, occasionally it's really on a case by case basis. Um, But I am someone who is on that path, and my spirits and practice is primarily uh, a combination of Manchu as well as a little bit of Mongolian, primarily the uh, practice of inner Mongolia, although a lot of uh, my practice is also advised by people from the country of mongolia by traditional mongolian shamans in 2016 i was approached and persuaded to write a book on um the folk magical practices of north asia so be primarily manchuria mongolia as well as uh, eastern siberia
0: have you guys heard of that band that mongolian metal band called who
1: basically the shamanism practiced uh, a little bit more in the uh, interior is based off of a, a nomadic lifestyle of some sort even if the people are no longer nomads even with manchus they haven't been nomads for hundreds of years but like thousands of years ago they were and that's when the shamanism developed um but i would but for for them when you are in a a nomadic lifestyle one of your biggest concerns on the day to day is simply to put it bluntly survival it's being able to survive day by day in uh, those Regions of, of of the northern parts of Asia, the winters are freaking cold. Like it is freezing. It, it drops to like minus twenty, minus thirty, minus forty. It doesn't matter if you look at Fahrenheit or Celsius, because at that point it's kind of the same. Um. So people are looking to survive, and people when they go to the shamans, the shamans act almost at different points in history. They were either the leaders of the tribes or they were the advisors at some point because their opinions were relevant in order to not only just surviving but thriving to the next day. So of course when people go to see shamans, it's, it's going to be very practical, very real, like everyday concerns. Um like for a nomadic uh person, their big question would be what's going to happen, what's my flock of sheep going to look like uh the next year? Will they survive winter? Will my family survive winter? Are there's are there going to be any complications such as unexpected pregnancies or or situations like that um they don't necessarily look to like go to shamans just simply to connect with spirits because they know the spirits are there they the spirits are in the everyday lives already um, they're there affecting us no matter what so we might as well do what we can to work positively and work Uh, harmoniously. When I talk to a lot of people, even from the home countries, they almost see like these spiritual beliefs and methodologies and Western beliefs and methodologies to be at odds and conflicting when they're really not. A lot of them are actually um, compatible in the sense that if you are sick, there's no reason that you shouldn't take Western medicine and do spiritual cleansings and exorcisms at the same time. If anything, they might actually help support each other. Uh, the fact that we've come so far in both areas is, I think, really a sign of humanity and spirituality really stepping forward. In my practices and beliefs, we believe that viruses and sickness is, is a spirit. It's a spirit that's come in. It's a spirit that is means to do to do harm or cause mischief. Well, we don't necessarily always use, I don't know if the word exorcism has certain connotations, but we have several different methods. It's, it can be an exorcism where you cast the spirit out, or it could be a negotiation where you convince that spirit to leave. Or, I mean, in in some cases, in some like really extreme cases, the shaman might actually go into battle and battle that spirit to drive, to drive that spirit out. Um, but, That's not going to be in contradiction to uh, Western medicine at all. If anything, it's almost, they complement each other in the ways that, like, a Western medicine, like, pill might be literally, like, the new, in terms, I hate to describe it in terms of weapons, but in terms of, like, warfare, we, in the past, it was always swords, bows and arrows and stuff, and now we have guns. It's, I literally see that's, like, the kind of, I almost see it that as the, that difference as the same difference between traditional spiritual methods of healing and uh, Western medicine forms of healing.
0: Communism is like a big deal. Like it changed the course of history in East Asia. There's a very good chance that if you meet somebody who's East Asian in America, who's living here, who's an immigrant here, we're here because of communism. We're here because some war happened because of communism. Some sort of economic shit happened because of communism. And that's why our parents decided to leave. So communism, in a lot of ways, it is so counter to indigenous shamanism, indigenous East Asian religions, the East Asian way for thousands of years. Let's let's be real here. The history of East Asia, the history of the world outside of America is old as hell old, old, old civilizations, thousands upon thousands of years old. So thousands of years of civilization stopped because of communism. And I mean, and it happened recently, like our grandparents' generation.
1: Actually, I was having a conversation with my grandmother a few months ago, and she was actually telling me a story that when she was a child, uh, communism had just came into power, but didn't really affect everyday life yet. She would actually see um, shaman ceremonies in in Manchuria. At the time she was living in North Manchuria near the Russian border. So basically really the heartland and she would see ceremonies every day. And whenever they happened, the kids would basically run around town and sort of like, like scream, announce it because uh, the Slavs oftentimes the ceremonies were very public events. And it's something that you saw in everyday life every single day. And when, the authorities really cracks down. She would say that they just suddenly, overnight, they just disappeared. Um, like they just stopped. And the reality is, thousands, more than probably tens of thousands of shamans were uh, rounded up. They were hunted down. They were, uh, they were imprisoned. Probably killed. And and shamanism really suffered huge debt. Da- uh, damaged for the second time in history uh, within Asia. They had to really go underground. They had to really go into secrets. Uh, my grandmother was saying she keeps hearing rumors that they might, the ceremonies might have still been happening, but they were just so secretive that people didn't know about. It's almost like shamans were cut out from public life to the extent that a lot of people, when they needed to see a shaman, they could not ha- get access to one because they w- could only do ceremonies for like trusted family members, trusted relatives, trusted friends, uh, and pretty much that's, and they had to be always on the run because if they stayed in one location too long, that that increases the ch- their chances of getting caught. Um, so it's how, how it was able to survive. After um, communism had either, uh, in A- different Asian countries, when it fell in Mongolia and uh, in the early 90s, and when it loosened up in China around the same time then you saw a lot of shamans were coming out again they just started doing a couple things more publicly but it's a very it was a very very slow process um, so they were they were able to take on students that's another thing they were able to slowly take on students again um, from a lot of different cultures um, there's actually a book on Mongolian a uh, Buryat Mongolian shamanism called tragic spirits which actually talks about the fact that the spirits weren't honored for so long, uh, for for several generations, that when they were, when shamanism was legal again, the spirits kind of came rushing back, almost like semi-angry, like very emotional, oftentimes very angry uh, that they haven't been honored. And, uh, and people, they said that at that time there were initiations happening everywhere. It's because a lot of these spirits just came charging back to like basically find, to choose people to be shamans. And they were initiated. But at the same time, I also need to caveat, with this rise also came the rise of the Asian new age or basically the fake shamans. They, they start to arise as well. I think they um, they have arise pretty much everywhere in Mongolia, in Manchuria, North China and Korea probably as well, um, of a lot of, there, you have that population of legitimate shamans, and then you have that population of people pretending to be shamans because I guess they see as profitable, I guess. Um, so, so this is what shamanism looks like today. You have the legitimate true practitioners who come from lineages that have miraculously stayed unbroken, and then you have people Um, sort of making things up because shamanism has been out of the picture for so long. A lot of everyday people aren't able to recognize when something is off, when something isn't right.
0: So even though South Korea was never technically communist, of course, America like came in, came into the Southern part of Korea's defense when the Chinese and Northern part of Korea came in. Um, So even though that happened, Christianity, I think, had a big role in trying to wipe out Korean shamanism. So it wasn't just the communists, it was the Western Christian ideas. As um, Asian Americans, oftentimes we don't really know the native tongue very well. So it's really easy to try to look for information about shamanism, about our indigenous roots online. And there's just not that many resources that have been translated into English. So and a lot of these indigenous religions, um, these are verbal traditions, a lot of them. So it's sort of like, well, unless you know somebody and you can speak Korean or you can speak uh, either Mongolian or Chinese like very fluently, and forget about like reading the actual Chinese texts, um, then it's like, what do you do? You just turn to whoever comes up on you know number one in your Google search, and unfortunately, that has often been dominated by people who have a lot of chutzpah, but maybe not as much connection to the actual indigenous culture and tradition. Why are people today so eager to become shamans? Because for the longest time, being a shaman was considered shameful, difficult. If your daughter or your son was called to be a shaman, it was sort of like, like what? what did I do wrong in life so that my family has to have this mark against us? Why all of a sudden... Is it like everybody wants to be a shaman?
1: Because the word shaman has become a new sexy word that it almost people almost see that word as have somehow having an attachment of power and somehow some kind of legitimacy. I think it's a lot of misinformation and sort of misconception. A lot of people they say they want to be a shaman without knowing exactly what a shaman is. Um, it it is a very very specific uh, role very. That takes up pretty much your your entire life, and I think people, a lot of people in the West uh, and a lot of Asian Americans too, unfortunately, they see the word shaman as just referring to a holy person or like a priest or priestess of an indigenous belief system, and sort of that's it. It's just uh, an indigenous um, spiritual person, and there when there's so much more behind that, um, I think in a lot of these societies, like. You don't have, not only do you not have to be a shaman to be spiritual, there are so many other spiritual roles in society as well that I think are often being ignored because the word shaman is is sexy in the English language. Um, I just want to like really talk about the, the roots of the word shaman and how it came into the English language. So I mentioned that I am Manchu, Manchu is part of a wider group of people known as the tungus people the tungus people span from north china to siberia and one of our sister tribes in the north is a group known as the evenki they primarily live in russian siberia but there's pockets in north china and manchuria as well Um, they they were the ones actually we in our languages we all use the word uh shaman or saman specifically to actually refer to our male shamans specifically so our male shamans were referred to as Saman. and then our female shamans were usually referred as Kutkan or something to that derivation. So when Russia expanded its empire into Siberia and came across the native Tungus people, and of course, being patriarchal as they were, they saw that the male, like these male roles of the shaman were called Saman. So then they start, they use that, they took that word and they applied it to basically um spiritual leaders within russian siberia which is not that far off but there is a little bit nuance and the russians essentially brought that word to europe and from europe it went uh into the french language of some somehow i think probably through trade or whatever and so the french started saying shaman spelled with a ch um and they basically used it to describe basically barbarian pagan peoples uh through um, either Russia or Europe. So, so the pre-Christian um, pagan like roles, spiritual leader roles, they also start calling, referring to them as shamans because they just started using that word to describe everything. And of course, from French, it went to the English language. The English, having the largest like empire, whatever in history, or the largest territorial reach, they start using that word shaman to describe to any indigenous uh, spiritual authority with anywhere. And that was the definition that stuck. And that was especially the definition that stuck in the US when, the, when the col- early colonizers started using that word to describe Native American spiritual uh, authority figures, even if, though Native Americans, one, they don't have that word. And two, even their elders will admit that their spiritual authorities don't fit with the traditional definition of that word because they looked it up because they, they did not know the word. So they looked up the original the the original indigenous roots and they're like we're not that um, but I think that's ultimately that was the definition that stuck in the English language and when people uh, are hungry to be say they're they're hungry to be shamans they are just looking at that definition they don't want the um, a lot of the modern widespread uh, Christian or or Muslim or a lot of these like roles they want to look at indigenous roles so the first word that comes to their mind shaman
0: I think a lot of people, especially in America, when you hear the word shaman, a lot of people use that word to mean like, you are like almost like a medicine woman, medicine man, you have connection with some like greater spirit. But the word shaman is very specific, right? It's very specific to the Northeast Asian region. So you can call somebody who is Korean and works with spirits, a shaman, you can call somebody from Mongolia and maybe like that Manchu area, but you wouldn't necessarily call, let's say somebody from Vietnam who works with spirits. Would you call them a shaman?
1: No, I would say that more, more accurately, they're probably mediums, which is where there is a, there is a fine line difference. There is a, there is a slight, but very big difference um, between their spiritual authorities and the shamans within the more Northern regions. Uh, I, I do want to say, because this, this could create some, um an anger annoyance saying if whenever we say someone is not a shaman or their practice is not shamanism that isn't to say that they are not legitimate or that they're not powerful i'm sure a 90 year old spiritual elder from a non-shamanic background could probably still kick my ass um so it's so just, when we say that they're not a shaman we're just saying that technically they don't fall under that definition but that doesn't mean that they're not powerful that doesn't mean that they're not legitimate. <laughs>
0: Is it, would you say it's kind of like you wouldn't call every Christian leader a priest, right? You have to go through a specific initiation to be called a priest. Um, there's ministers. There's you know. There's priests. There's all these other names that you can call them. So shaman. When we talk about shamanism, we're talking about a very specific sect and a very specific title of somebody who's gone through the many year long tradition and initiation right we're talking about actual initiation
1: if i were to be more specific and this is just from years of uh, not only study but conversations with other shamans I, I would say that there's really three defining traits of what a shaman is uh one is it's specific people chosen by specific spirits so you you can't study to be a shaman you're 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 either born with that uh destiny or that mandate or you're not so that's number one. Number two, uh, they have to be able to go into repeatable, controlled uh, trance states um, to access their spirits. Either their spirits come into them and possess them, or um, or their own spirit or soul flies out, and that actually leads to number three: the ability to do of spirit flight, where your own soul actually flies out into the spirit world and i want a lot of uh western people who practice core shamanism which um i won't talk too much about but they they have a incorrect um view of what journey or what they call shamanic journey is because if you're if you it was a true journey where your soul is out of your body your body would either become an empty shell or there would be a one of your spirits would be there they're protecting it. So it literally, it'd be that if their spirit, their soul is gone, they're doing like a soul retrieval, or whatever, you you can literally push the person over and they wouldn't know, they wouldn't feel a thing because their soul is not there anymore. I'm pretty sure for a lot of uh, uh Western shamanic circles that they were doing like a guided meditation or like their shamanic journey, I'm pretty sure if I pushed them, they would realize that I pushed them. <laughs>
0: that makes sense that actually makes sense to me and how westerners when they use the word shaman they're usually not talking about especially the soul leaving the body and stuff like that Uh, again it sounds much more in the west that it's used to describe somebody who's really wise and spiritual they're just generally called shaman
1: so actually the spirit flight that i talked about that doesn't happen too too often in fact, most shamans prefer not to do that. if They can because it's a huge strain on the on the mind of the body. So they so they actually still also do call the spirits in to possess them as in transposition possession. That's um, much easier than spirit flight, and even then, it's actually still a little straining. So it's almost like sh- they try to do the easiest thing possible for for the task at hand but they will and they can go to those measures. And um, not not that I'm a Korean shaman or anything, but I would actually consider uh, Korean shamanism to be within um, the family of the shamanism that comes from Manchuria and Mongolia and Siberia. Because, um, Jen, I think we had a conversation before where there, there is a story or multiple stories in Korean shamanism about soul retrievals, about spirit flight and soul retrievals. So, so, so that's proof that that can happen, that it, it does exist. Um, and then, too, I think archaeologically speaking, uh, Korean shamanism did actually appear amongst the Korean peoples as a almost like a migration from. Um, more interior lands, whether it is Manchuria or Mongolia or Siberia. It, it is, I think, archaeologically clear that there is a a connection, um, even a blood connection. Um, so, and with shamanic spirits, they they travel down uh, lineages by blood. It actually comes, people who are chosen as shamans, they have the, the blood. It does, it, it travels that way. So I definitely do consider Korean shamanism, even though I don't practice it, to be within the same family as the shamanism from those interior regions.
0: So David, you mentioned that you had spirit sickness um, and that it was really bad until you started going down this path of possible initiation in the future. So what were your symptoms like? Yeah, I just wanted to impress upon the viewers that just because you have what might be considered spirit sickness, and who knows, maybe I've had it too. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go down this road of being an initiated shaman. What I do, which is a very mundane thing, editing videos and putting it up on YouTube, that is a type of spiritual practice as well, because I'm trying to disseminate the spiritual information out to the world. So that's what I'm doing is my part. That's my spiritual path. So you don't automatically have to go and decide that you're going to spend thousands of dollars and years and years of your life because you have spirit sickness or because spirits talk to you you should definitely go to a professional a mudang a shaman get lots just like any other illness right get lots of different opinions and then go from there and that's probably one of the ways that all the fake shamanism going on can be kind of called right by People kind of going to the right professionals and getting the right diagnoses.
1: My symptoms were less physical; it was mostly psychological and partially mental. Um, I, I didn't. I actually don't know if I have any diagnosed um, psychological disorders because my parents never felt the need to take me to go check. Um, so, I can only speak based on my like what I felt, uh, but basically, it was almost like it. growing up, I was always either alternating between manic and paranoid to like con- constant anxiety, um, severe depression. Uh, when I was much younger, um, actually, this was a repressed memory that was brought up but apparently every night as a child i basically saw ghosts and demons like next to my bed like almost every night and and i could only go to sleep if i was like completely under the covers uh, because that was the only way i could calm myself and even getting older um i think i developed into this habit where i was able to Uh, ignore some of the things I was seeing to the point where I wasn't seeing them anymore, but a lot of, like, it just felt like there was always emotional or mental trauma or baggage. Um, the, The only reason why I succeeded academically the way I did is really just through constantly pushing myself because I couldn't focus. Uh, my focus was pretty bad my parents thought maybe I had a uh, adD or something because no matter how hard I tried I couldn't focus um at all and this even went on in college um, so it, this was all before I even had any awareness of what shamanism was and it was I did notice that when I discover uh, that this path exists not and, and I did research and I basically, um was getting pulled into it then some of these uh symptoms start to alleviate themselves slowly but very slowly uh and then i start getting uh recurring dreams of that that weren't so chaotic anymore now they're starting to become a little bit clear with uh what my ancestors were trying to say to me um basically in my case the the uh, shamanic lineage in my family has been broken for several hundred years, but it's not so long that those shamanic spirits are not around anymore. And I and they saw an opportunity to to try to mend or repair this lineage. So they so they were trying to guide me into that path. Um, but even for this entire time that I was doing this, I would never call myself a shaman or a shaman to be because I did recognize that you have to be recognized you have to be identified and that's the only way to know otherwise it's just being presumptuous i could probably there could probably be some other um cure or some other uh spiritual way of dealing with it there's many different types of spiritual paths um even if it's not a shaman it could be different types of spiritual healers even In in Mongolia and Manchuria, and probably Siberia too, the role of a midwife was also a spiritual calling that required initiation. Um, Probably not gonna be me, but you know, (laughs) there are many different possibilities. Um, And even with uh, shamans, as Jen said, there are many different types of shamans who do different things to varying degrees. Um, In practice, they probably won't look too different from Case to case, I think what Korean shamanism has done uh, more than other forms of shamanism is that there's a lot more categorizations, which in uh, a lot of more North other North Asian traditions, it does it's not as clear cut. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of been my story. It's um, these days the sickness. Um, it's still kind of there, but I can handle it much better. Sometimes there are flare-ups. Um, I still do get some episodes uh, sometimes where uh, it happens mostly at night, um, where sometimes I don't know why. I might just be like violently shaking uh, in bed for a few minutes, and I just don't know why. Um, or even or even like cases like insomnia and sometimes some emotional cases as well. Um, I, I don't want to describe it as necessarily existentialism, but like something kind of along those lines just happens just randomly. And then after anywhere from five minutes to five hours, it just also suddenly disappears.
0: I really hope that everyone enjoyed this interview with David, and if you want to check out his book, North Asian Magic, it's available on Amazon. Link is in the description box below. Hey everyone! Thank you so much for listening to the Witches & Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.